This episode of Jewish Songwriter is brought to you by Temple Israel of the City of New York, a welcoming family of families devoted to community and repairing the world, located on Manhattan's Upper East Side. With an early childhood center, religious school education through high school, weekly musical services, and an inspiring array of social, educational, young professional, and Israel-centered programming and trips, you're sure to find your home in this warm and inclusive community. To learn more, check out www.tinyc.org. That's tinyc.org. Welcome to Jewish Songwriter, shining a light on the people and stories behind contemporary Jewish music, one song at a time. I'm your host, Sheldon Lowe, and now, on to the show. This week's Jewish Songwriter is Rick Recht. Welcome to the show, Rick. Hey, what's up, Sheldon? How you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I actually caught you at home for a change. Yay! Um, so I normally like to start off by telling people how we met. It's a sort of longer story the way I normally tell it because, you know, we're so close, but I, I think just to try and keep it short, I was in USY and Elisa had organized a, uh, hayride, which is something that people used to do and hopefully they still do in the Midwest. (laughs) We do it all the time, almost nightly. You do good. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hop on the back of a trailer uh, of a tractor that's carrying some little cars filled with hay and you just ride off into the woods. And uh, when we got to our destination, which was just an opening in the woods, you were there leading us in Havdalah and you shared your uh, brand new song, Yihye Shalom. And mm. uh, my life changed forever, basically, at that point. So uh, I don't know how much you remember that event yourself or where that was in your journey, but can you tell us how exactly you became a you know, Jewish songwriter? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I mean, I definitely remember that event and I definitely remember you like early on because you <laughs> stuck out to me very, very quickly in that group of kids. And that was right at the beginning of me playing Jewish music and trying to find my voice and figure out like, you know, where, where I was going to express, express that voice and how I was going to learn about Judaism and, and, you know, different channels. And, uh, and one was on a hayride <laughs> and there, <laughs> exactly. and, and there you were with this amazing group of us wires. But I, well, I'll, I'll just say that I, I grew up at a conservadoxus shul in St. Louis about the size of a, like it was a house actually. It wasn't the size of a house. Mm-hmm. It was a house. Um, it was a sweet <laughs> Hamishy place. And then in, uh, but there wasn't, a, there wasn't really any music that I can remember. Um, in, and, and, and and then when I was in high school, I, two friends of mine dragged me to a nifty event. And, um, and that was my first exposure to Jewish music. And it actually happened immediately because that nifty event, the very first thing I saw was Havdalah. Sort of like what you hmm. experienced with me, I, I experienced there. Like it, everyone had their hands around, uh, uh, holding hands and their arms around each other. And they're singing Debbie Friedman's Havdalah and there's hmm. candlelight. And then people hugged and smooched. And I was like, I found my people. <laughs> this is it. Um, but I was never a song leader. I, I just really enjoyed the the atmosphere. I enjoyed the music, but I didn't learn the music. And I went to college, and a lot of like a lot of Jewish kids, I wasn't really that involved in Jewish anything. Um, I had a, a a nice Jewish identity, but I wasn't connected in any meaningful way. And uh, mm-hmm. I played secular music for years. Uh, I studied business and communications, as you do <laughs> when you're going to mm-hmm. do music and. I graduated and worked at Capitol Records for a few months um, as a secretary, basically pushing music widgets, and then uh, mm-hmm. went to school at Music Institute, studied guitar for a year, which was 
an unbelievable experience. And then I toured for years just playing secular music, many years. And this was into my late 20s. And then in my late 20s, mm-hmm. and you know the story, uh, you know, I had a guitar student who was a director of a conservative Jewish day camp here in St. Louis called Remote Amuna. And she was mm-hmm. taking guitar because she couldn't find any song leaders. You know from being in St. Louis that there were just so few people who were leading music. And like the last one had moved to California and she wasn't going to have right. camp without music. So she took guitar for me and she would bug me about being a Jewish song leader. And I was not interested. I, I didn't know any Jewish music. I'd, uh, I'd never worked at a Jewish summer camp. I never worked with kids. Um, and I was in a band that I was really... Um, I felt very strongly about, and to make a long story short, she convinced me to work at the camp that the following summer, just for a few weeks, and it uh, it changed my life almost immediately. Um, I you know we led Tefillah on the first day, and my guitar student, who was the director of the camp, was standing side by side with me and watching her uh, uh, move so deeply the the hearts and souls of the the kids at camp and the counselors and make Judaism so exciting and meaningful and relevant. It was, it was profound for me and it, um, it really changed my chemistry and, um, hmm. the rest is history. I remember I wrote that Ye Shalom, um, my first Jewish mm-hmm. song and I played it for my guitar student, Elisa, who ended up becoming my wife. <laughs> <laughs> a few years <laughs> later. Um, and she said, you could be huge. This would be great. And I didn't even know what that meant. You know, she's like, you could be like Craig Taubman, who I'd never heard of, who used to come to her camp and wear leather pants and all the teenage, mm-hmm. everyone had a crush and still does on Craig Taubman. And, and <laughs> she, and, you know, she just was very excited about this idea of me, of me playing Jewish music. And, um, and I wrote throughout the summer and it was through writing Jewish music that I started to learn about Judaism and learn about myself and, and, um, and learn about how I could contribute to uh, the lives of these kids and, and campers and, and the community more broadly. And so writing was my real initial door in. And then after camp, I, I ended up giving notice to my band several months after camp. And I built a studio in my basement, which I remember you saw. I was building a studio. Yep. I put some mattresses. <laughs> up in the air and put some tapestries over them. Tapestries hanging from the ceiling. And that was my studio, <laughs> otherwise known yeah. as the Vibe Room. But it was a cool, vibey kind of place. It uh, was totally vibey. It was the perfect name for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I recorded this album of all these songs, you know, that were really written for kids at Jewish summer camp, you know, eyes, hands, ears, that kind of stuff. Hey, it's Sheldon here, just interrupting to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle, who makes it easy to build a stunning website for your music in minutes. I've tried all of the major template-based sites, and the reason I use Banzoogle is because the whole platform is really built for musicians, with features like a free custom domain name, a commission-free store, unlimited download codes, and an email list platform for managing your list, sending targeted emails and analytics built right into your subscription. You can click the link in the episode notes or go to bandzoogle.com and use promo code Jewish Songwriter, all one word, to try it free for 30 days and get 15% off the first year of your subscription. That's promo code Jewish Songwriter. Bandzoogle, websites built for musicians by musicians. I want to shift gears and talk about your song, Hallelujah, the Psalm 150 version. Yeah. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for writing this song? Sure. So I, I wrote this song, Hallelujah, not this version, actually. It, it's, it has mm-hmm. English verses. Um, uh, several years ago on a hike, thinking about how blessed and lucky and fortunate I feel to have the opportunity to connect with communities around the country and individuals. And um, I'm just like a, a crazy blessed person. And, um, and and it really became my mantra. It's like something I say to myself almost daily. I say the words of this song that I will close my eyes and take a deep breath and, um, and you know, step up, you know, set new standards, celebrate, um, you know, mm-hmm. really share the real me. Those aren't the exact words of the song, but you get the idea. Um, mm-hmm. And I focus on each of those lines. And I've been doing that for years. Um, you know, I'd always introduce the song or often introduce the song by ta- saying that one of the beautiful things about the word hallelujah is you have to breathe to say it. You can't say hallelujah. It doesn't work like that. You have to sort of inhale like hallelujah. And it feels so good. And, and it's interesting because the idea of hallelujah, like in the context of, well, just the word, but the prayer and Psalm 150 is that in every breath that we take, in every breath you take, in every breath that we take, we have this mm-hmm. opportunity to acknowledge the presence of God or godliness or God energy or the spark of the divine around us. Mm-hmm. It could be in the trees. It could be in your eyes mm-hmm. right now looking at me in, in uh, FaceTime land. Um, it, can, mm-hmm. it can be in, frankly, even in the mechanics and the computer that's working right now, <laughs> you know, all the mm-hmm. minds that made this happen, um, that mm-hmm. uh, these are all hallelujah moments. For those educators that are our listeners, do you have any good um, tips for either how to teach it or when and where it's been, you know, it's worked really, really well. Do you have any any sort of advice um, on how to, you know, quote unquote, use this song? Well, you know, a lot of times we think about liturgy or litur- liturgical songs. We in in the Jewish world, we we've got our top ten, you know, which is like, you know, where does that get played on Friday night or Saturday morning, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And there's a place to play sure. Hallelujah, but I, I think the idea of sharing some of the thoughts. I mean, it could be anyone's thoughts, but I'm just, I'm throwing out one idea, which is what I was just sharing mm-hmm. with you is, is really using the song as an opportunity for discussion about hallelujah moments or mm-hmm. hallelujah recognition, meaning recognition of the godliness within each other, the godliness or the God in the nature, in the rooms, in the space, in the atmosphere around us. So it's a little less... T- about <laughs> teaching the song and more about using the song as a, a provocateur. In terms of actually singing the song, um, really singing the chorus alone with just hallelujah is a nice, simple way of mm-hmm. doing it, even before you even get into, or or if you get into the verses of, mm-hmm. of the Psalm 150. You could sing the English version that I wrote, which is a call and response, or the Psalm 150 and, you know, maybe hand out a lyric sheet because it's a little easier for people who don't know Psalm 150. For people who do, mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer. It's pretty easy to sing because uh, they've mm-hmm. sung the words um, forever. But really just, right. uh, you know, on a logistic level, hanging on the hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. But really using that as a as an opportunity to meditate a little bit on with every breath we take, what what are the different hallelujah uh, uh, at gratitude moments that we can experience. 
just tell me real quickly, uh, for anyone who wants to get any sort of resources to be able to learn or share the song, where can they find them? Sure. So on, on my website on rickrec.com, um, I have the, my whole new album, which is called Here I Am, is it's available and free um, for download there. Um, it's also on cool. Spotify and, um, you know, any of the streaming services like mm-hmm. Apple Music. Um, and as far as sheet music, um, th- there's a, a whole songbook, including Hallelujah, as well as everything on the Here I Am album. And also, nice. actually, all of the sheet music that I have have available is free and on my website for every song on every album. That If there's sheet music, it's there. You just click it and download it. Can you offer any other actionable type of tips for um, songwriters or people interested in pursuing a, a career in Jewish songwriting? or exercises that you find really helpful? I'll just share this, is that when I think about songs and when i writing songs and I talk to people about it, I always say that it's really important in the Jewish world to think about when those songs are going to be used and where they're going to mm-hmm. be used and who's going to be using them. Um, mm-hmm. Because, and, and for instance, one example that I give is when are Jews together? What's the top two things? Well, let's just say Shabbat. Okay, Shabbat's mm-hmm. probably the number one thing over the course of the year. The number one repeated experience that Jews are together for, and when on Shabbat are they together? Well, Reform, maybe even Conservative too, would be Friday nights, Saturday mornings too. When is music sung? Uh, you know, maybe a little more on Friday night. Okay, and of that mm-hmm. music, what songs are sung? Well, there is a set liturgy, particularly in the Reform movement, but even in the Conservative movement, there's a set liturgy that you don't vary too much from. You're generally going to mm-hmm. get a lechado di, a, a shema, micha mocha, you know, shema v'ahavta, micha mocha, maybe a vishamru. You're definitely going to do the amidah. You're going to have like a, some song for peace, usually an oseh shalom, and then you're going to have like a closing song of some sort, all right? Mm-hmm. There's your mm-hmm. top 10 right there. So if you want to write a song that's going to be used, you might want to think about one of those. Okay, that's just a thought, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's other areas. There's, you know, sort of the next tier down or uh, holidays or specific celebrations like Israel Day, that kind of thing. Or, um, I, So, you know, the, it's all about use. And then it's how things are used. It's about the simplicity of the song. When you write a song that has a lot of syncopation or is highly complex, it makes it difficult for audiences to sing. And, um, mm-hmm. and it sends the message that they're actually not supposed to sing it. By contrast, mm-hmm. if you write a nice simple song that has uh, simple lyrics, um, that is sung straightforward, that has repetition, that has call and response, that kind of thing, that says, this is for you, for the community to sing. Um, it also mm-hmm. means that the people who are the leaders of the music, i.e. a cantor or a song leader, are more likely to learn it. And they're the real mm-hmm. distributors of your music. So I'm, this is like mm-hmm. a very practical view of songwriting. Right. Super practical. Like, when is it going to be used? Who's using it? And how are they going to use it? And by the way, writing a simple song is one of the most difficult things that you can do. It is. Just going to throw that out there. It's not dumbing it down. It's actually one of the hardest songs you can write. But but go on. So the, the second thing. So there's the logistics of writing a song, like the who, what, when, that kind of thing. Um, but then there's the, like, the mindset of songwriting. And I think that's a very personal thing. But for me and for a lot of people that... Um, I know it, it, it's, it really is about uh, frequency. It's about creating space to sit down and to write and to write, to be at the bus stop, to catch the bus, 
Um, so to, to, to do it often. And the more often you do it, the more likely it's a muscle that you build up. It's a skill or a set of skills that you build up, um, a set of tools that you build up. And the more, the more you sit down and do it, the better you get at it. Um, and, and the more uninterrupted that time is, meaning not having buzzing, beeping things and interruptions around you, the more likely you are to get something done. This all sounds like really logical and obvious, but I think it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to let things get in the way of songwriting. Cause as you mentioned earlier, it's a vulnerable time to songwrite. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of, once you clear out all the noise and sit down, it's just you <laughs> and it's you mm-hmm. to sort of succeed or fail at that songwriting thing, which is super personal and vulnerable. And, um, so it's scary. It's scary for me. Like when I clear out everything and sit down, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of, I have to get pretty motivated to sit down and quiet everything down because then there's only me in that room right. and I'm hoping that magic happens. And it's, 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 it's a scary precipice to walk up to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it ain't so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially cause after, you know, you, you just never know what's going to, what's, what you're going to be left with. You're, you're setting aside some precious time and you, and you also just have no idea at the end, if you're going to have a masterpiece, you're going to have a blank page, you're going to have four, four lyrics that you like, you know? So do you have a short answer to, um, to people who say, um, well, why do we need another Oseh Shalom? You mentioned, you know, thinking about uses and the top 10 of liturgy, for example. Is there something that, that you have an answer for? Why should there be another Hine Matov? Every time we write a new piece of liturgy, we have the opportunity to make it fresh and to make it, to explore a new dimension of it melodically or in some, energetically in some way. And the proof of the pudding is that, you know, someone writes a new Hine Matov or Oseh Shalom and people light up and hear it in a different way than they ever did before. And bam, good thing you wrote that song. You know, so I think that's really important. The other thing is that I think it's important for people, for songwriters um, Jewish songwriters, as well as a community to know that growth and exploration is still occurring. Um, just not even about the song that's written, but just about knowing that there's people who are still exploring the text um, of our liturgy, that they're still exploring and challenging the, um, the, you know, the value system of being Jewish. I think there's a, a win in that also. All right. So here's the rule with uh, the lightning round. You've got to come up with, you know, short answers and they've got to be the first thing that come to mind. Okay. So don't think about them. They're more okay. fun when, when it's just whatever comes out. Uh-oh. Last song you listen to. Break It Out by Rocket Summer. Your most used emoji. And smiley face. Uh, what's the song you're embarrassed to love? Oh, Pour Sugar on Me. It's like my favorite song of all time, too. I love it. When I take my morning walks, I almost always start my morning walk with a live version of Def Leppard's Pour Sugar on Me. And I actually walk outside and do full-on rock star hand motions while walking and have been caught doing so. Who would play you in your biopic? 
Would you consider it, Sheldon? It'd be like the much better looking version of me, taller, everything, and like facial hair that I could never grow. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to make you do it. Okay. That's hilarious. I'm going to have to start growing my hair out. This is going to be so awesome. You've got me. Like now I'm, now I'm creating. I'm going to be writing. Well, um, let me just say thank you so, so much for giving me so much time. Um, you know, I always look forward to getting to catch up with you, to learn from you. Um, I really, really treasure um, every single second we get to spend with one another. And it's just been so much fun getting to catch up with you. And I can't wait to share this with everyone. Thank you for, for having me. It's an honor. And uh, you are the menschiest mensch uh, uh, that I, I know and talk about you all the time. And it's just awesome hanging with you. This is Hallelujah, the Psalm 150 version by Rick Recht. Hallelujah, 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 this episode of Jewish Songwriter. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. On the next episode of Jewish Songwriter... Hi, this is Beth Schaefer. Jewish Songwriter is produced by Sheldon Lowe, edited by Ben Mazak of Industrial Strength Productions in St. Louis, Missouri, and distributed by Hallelujah Music. Until next time, keep writing out there, and thanks for listening. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.